Hey everybody, welcome to show 29 of Toon Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Sandra, and today's guest is James Chang. I first heard of James when I studied at Animation Mentor. He was famous for his enthusiastic and detailed critiques and everybody wanted him as a mentor. I wasn't so lucky back then, but a few years ago I did manage to take a few personal classes with him and we got to know each other really well. I have to say I'm delighted to be able to call this guy a friend. Our conversations are always compelling to me. I always feel invigorated and full of inspiration after them. And I wanted to share that same feeling with you guys. So here it is, my conversation about animation with James Chang. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It sounds good. All right. Well, let's start out with um, what made you fall in love with animation and how you got started in the industry. Uh, how I fell in love with animation, I went to art school first uh, at Ontario College of Art when I switched careers from business. I, I spent oh, wow. half of my life, most of my life was spent in science and, and business. And to make that jump, realizing that I was meant to be an artist, it was kind of scary. Realize, oh God, I got, I'm supposed to be an artist. <laughs> so I, I transferred myself to art school. And um, what happens uh, during art school, I realized the direction was towards less and less uh, drawing and, and, and more and more towards conception. And it led me to, to animation where I, where I could still draw mm. and try to bring life to things. And, and so that, I, I chose to enroll at uh, Sheridan College out, uh, out in Oakville, Ontario, where a very famous school, right, Sheridan College. And it was, it was a great experience. I learned a lot and it kind of pulled me into it because of just seeing the work that was being done at the time. I believe 2D animation had this huge revival mm. from you know Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and, and I think it was hitting a peak of Lion King. We didn't know it was a peak at the time, um, and it got people like myself and, and, and my friends all interested. And it was uh, the rest is kind of history. I went into that, and, and you know ultimately moved into 3D. But that seeing the work uh, that people like Glenn Keane, we had just interviewed, and and other great artists, it was so inspiring to see. The process of the work, not yeah. not so much just the end result. The end result everyone loves, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you see the rough drawings, the thinking, the, the thumbnailing, and all the research involved, uh, I was just thinking, wow, what a what a way to pass the day yeah. to, to do this, right? Yeah, of so, course. yeah. And if you could pick one thing that you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career, what would it be? Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> <laughs> what I wish I knew. I wish I could foresee a little bit more of the direction of the industry better. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard thing in anything, in business as well. It's very hard to foresee what technology brings. At the time, I remember when I went into 2D, I always thought that 2D wouldn't die. And a lot of people were trying to assure me that it wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> including many mentors and teachers. And uh, it turns out all of us were kind of wrong. Not that it dead, but it's no longer mainstream. There, yeah. there isn't a large venue uh, where, where artists uh, that work two-dimensionally can, can express their creativity that way. Um, but that said, um, I still think there's not too much you can really know ahead of time. So I don't know. I, I think it's more knowing your sense of destination, uh, having some sort of direction in your life. I, I think at the time making the change to be an artist was already a big directional change. Mm -hmm. uh, to hone down into 2D or 3D, which was very much in its infancy at the time. But if I were to look back and I wish, God, if I could change one thing, I wish I was more open to, to technology at the time and to what may come and realizing, you know, the world's going to keep evolving. And I think uh, part of the beauty of being the, part of the human species, the beauty of it is uh, their ability, our ability to, to adapt. And at the time, if you don't think 
that far ahead, you kind of just react to what's going on, yeah. uh, and then your emotions kind of play into that, and then you're you're all erratic, and then you kind of lose direction again. And I I think that happened to myself and to a, a lot of artists at the time, mm-hmm. especially when suddenly you know the big studios were all starting to move off from three D anim- two D animation and move thrust themselves into three D, which was very new. There were no three D schools at the time outside of maybe Ringling, uh, a few others maybe, but pretty much in its infancy. And I think. Um, knowing, thinking and being open-minded about what may come can keep you a little bit more prepared because artists, you know, businessmen have one thing ahead of, of artists. Artists tend to kind of just react, you know, we just <laughs> go with what we love. And as a business person, you're, they, they plan better. They know what they want, even if it's a, a shallow goal like money or something. But it's, it, it's very direct. It's very clear in their head. And as artists, I think if we had a little clearer sense of what we really want, whether it's a, a certain destination, a kind of job you want to do, whether it be in layout, animation, rigging, or whatever, you kind of have to know a little bit ahead. And if you if you kind of know what you are, you're kind of going into, you can kind of take the proper steps that, that are easier to take than just thinking about it because our minds get confused so easily. At least I was when I was in my 20s. I was yeah, very okay. confused. Yeah. So that that's kind of... That's a long way to answer your question. <laughs> That's all good. Long answers are far better than short ones, so it's all good. Are <laughs> they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you write beautifully on your blog about film and animation and how to analyze film and that sort of thing, and I think it's a really important practice to do. Um, can you sort of give us some tips and tricks on what, you, what to actually look at, what kind of questions to ask yourself when you're looking at someone else's work? I, I think the first thing to do when, when I, well, at least what I do when I look at work is I just, I try to go in there without any prejudice. Mm. And sometimes that's hard to do because someone might say, ah, oh, that's a great piece of animation, look at it, or this is an awesome clip of acting or, or, or filmmaking. And you already have that bias because of someone's opinion. Yeah. But I think when you go into it, it's like watching a movie. I, I like to not have any expectations and mm-hmm. just go, Let's, let's see what, what that first impression is. And I do the same thing even as I mentor students and, and teach. I look at their work. The first time is always the most accurate impression. I, I'll, I'll feel immediately, does it connect? Is, it, is, it, is there a fascinating element? Is there this texture that kind of sucks you in? So when I, look, when I tell people to learn to study work, um, first see what it does for you. Because if it doesn't connect with you, you have to ask two questions. Uh, why doesn't it connect? Is it because of your lack of education or your prejudice or your bias or because you're, you know, you're not, you're not connecting with it because sometimes you have to really, when you connect to something, then you, you have that interest. So I always say when you look for something to study, the first hump to get over is just look at things that, that enjoy, that, that you enjoy first, that inspire you. Because then you'll have more motivation to kind of look at it and study it in terms of, say, a piece of animation. You will start studying the timing and go, wow, this, this scene, it really, there's something really uh, exciting about it. it. It has this energy or power. And you start breaking it down, but, well, animation is these basic things, shapes, timing, movement, uh, weight, forces, and, and all these other elements. And then you start breaking it down, well, what is great about it? Is it? Is it because the character is so weighty? And how did that animator get that heaviness in there? And did that heaviness or that weightiness of that scene add to the emotion of the scene? Did it make it great or did it take it away? Mm. And usually when you look at work you love, the artists have done a lot of thinking, a lot of hard work to convince you of the reality they want to present to you. And I think looking at work that way, you really start to start to follow in the footsteps of the creator, which is 
not only a joy for you as an audience or as a, a fan of art, but also a joy to the creator, knowing that someone else looking at your at their work is is seeing what they're seeing now. It's kind of similar, like you know what people say about Mark Rothko's painting. Mark Rothko's a famous abstract expressionist, and some people cry in front of his paintings, and it's because they get it. They go. They're going through the emotions that the artist went through when they created a piece of work. In animation, uh, a lot of our work is performance and emotion, mm-hmm. and and the artist works very, very hard, as you and I know, yeah. <laughs> to create or, or at least simulate that illusion that there's a story going on and that these characters aren't just some bunch of digital data moving on in this computer screen or, 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 or ink and pencil on a piece of paper, that it's something living. Um, I always remember this great quote uh, from, I think, Chuck, Chuck Jones's book and, and then how a little girl said to him, you know, he said, what do you do for a living? He says, I... I draw Bugs Bunny. He goes, no, you draw pictures of Bugs Bunny. I mean, that's what the kid had to correct him. And that's really true because he's created something that people believe is real. And great animation, I think, does that. I think when we look for work that has that pull towards you, that's the first step, looking at that and then being inspired by it and then breaking it down analytically and then going, okay, what are these? You know, you got these awesome 12 principles animation. Look at those principles and say, okay, let's grab one of those principles. Let's say forces and go, well, how are the forces being used, understood, and what does it convey here? And you see it very obvious in a lot of the big animators' works. Um, some animators have a lot of charm, and you go, well, that piece of work just makes me smile. Then you go, well, what is it? What's in the appeal? What is the use of the straights and curves? How are they handling uh, the timing and the shapes and, and the spacing of the, of the movement of those frames that make you believe that, wow, that character really feels sweet or sad or uh, and that's that that to me is animation and that when when it's that exciting it's not hard to study it I think <laughs> so how do you go about approaching a shot can you talk us a little bit about phrasing and how you think your way through a scene from beginning to end um, hmm, approaching a scene I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the scene I remember when I was animating full-time or even when I was directing um, I would think a lot about the purpose of the work mm-hmm. um, I always believe that you know you got three fundamentals you got purpose um, then you kind of got preparation then you you got to do it, it and that's, <laughs> that's it that's that's pretty much the three principles of, of, of this craft and I look at a scene and I go well what's the meaning of this shot where does it sit in sequence if it's a film or if it's game animation what is it here to do what is that character is a character just slicing something up because it's slicing something up no it's because it's you know, facing an adversary and it's supposed to slice it this way or this character, this little bunny comes in and she's frightened for a reason and is frightened because of something that happened before in a previous scene. Animators, I think the best animators always think a lot about not only what's happening in their scene but what happened after the scene and what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Then you realize that you're animating a point in time mm-hmm. and a moment of performance and emotion and movement. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, all we do is control space and shape, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or time. Time and space are very hard things to separate. That's what people always say. Spacing is timing, right? But space and time, the space-time continuum, they're kind of connected. But we really control shape and how they move, right? That's Mm -hmm. the essence of animation. So we go, these are our tools. So when I'm I'm thinking about the shot, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to how am I to convey these ideas? If this scene is this character is really sad because of something said to that character in the scene before, and now you're expressing that character's disappointment, 
you have to get into that character. You have to go, well, what is that character going through? You have to get into it. If it's a child, you have to get into that child mindset. And if you can't act it out, find somebody to, or, or a similar scene that conveys some of those ideas that have been done before. How did another artist approach it? How are you going to approach it? Are you going to use video camera to, to shoot yourself or shoot a, I used to shoot colleagues, uh, watch them act if they're better actors. Uh, look at great actors, get ideas what people do when they, how, what, what kind of facial expressions, how do people behave when they're in those states of mind. Yeah. Uh, I use a mirror a lot when I animate, uh, even more so than video. Um, and, and I thumbnail. I'll, I'll do a lot of planning because of my 2D background. I, I, I plan a lot. I, I explore the rhythm of a scene. Uh, so I draw a lot of these things called heart monitors. Uh, I teach my students the same thing, thinking about where the phrasing of the dialogue happens, the movement, and they may not all line up. Mm-hmm. And that's what's beautiful about animation is it's got, hence phrasing, things happen at different times, they overlap. And that's really exciting because you go, wow, there's a lot of texture. But if you don't plan your work out, uh, if you don't plan it out and go, okay, this shot is 300 frames, when is this character going to come through the door? When is it going to dip its head? When is it going to make this expression? When is it going to say this line? You're going to be confused when you animate because animation although the goal of art is incredibly simple the tools to to express that art is complex right it's very very complex especially in 3d you got a zillion tools a zillion controls on every rig so i i, I go through that process I, I think exactly what that seems about i know the emotions i know who the character is i know what it's going to do and where it's coming from where it's going to unless i can answer those questions in other words the basic whys and what's and, and how's uh maybe how comes later but at least the why and what and where you know where is this scene happening is it in the schoolhouse is it in the bathroom is it in the room is it in, uh is it just a close-up shot you have to know all these things before you do it and once you do that then you kind of have a framework you know it's, it's kind of like painting you know painting doesn't work without a frame right you, you need a border and you have to create borders for your scene at least in your mind and then you put it down on paper it's something i want to write about soon is putting things on paper because there's so many ideas in your head there's so many options unless you narrow them down you're going to be lost you won't know how to proceed so after that then i block then i think about where to lay out the scenes i'll put in basic things and now if it's a complicated scene say has a moving camera i may have chosen to animate this scene straight ahead and say ah there's me a moving camera it's not too long there's a lot of mechanics involved i may choose to plan to work it straight ahead which means i better know where i'm going before i go because then I'll take a very stop-motion approach to it, right? Mm-hmm. Just run through the scene. Uh, sometimes there's an advantage working straight ahead because you get more motion and feeling and you get better movement. Your spline is not as messy. It's a little cleaner. has body, better body mechanics. But if you don't have a good plan of the various destination points, which are usually your key story moments, mm-hmm. you can get lost. I, I used to know animators that would not plan very much. Great animators, but they would animate in kind of you didn't know where the scene was going because yeah. the anime was just following this wonderful journey which is a very fine art approach but it doesn't work in this very uh, you know very commercial field where yeah. you know you have a definite story you know you don't want to flip the director out and goes why is the character over here <laughs> and they you know it used to happen to me when i was directing sometimes an anime would take it somewhere i'm like where are you going with this scene this is not what this is about and you have to catch them. I think this is why you have dailies. Yeah. So animators go, whoops, I was really off. This is not what this sort of scene was about. Or, and it happens even to the best of animators. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, they think it differently because part of the creative process is exploring the unknown, right? Yeah. 
And at the end of the day, it's all unknown because uh, not too much unlike a 2D animator who deals with a blank piece of paper. In many ways, a 3D animator is also dealing with a blank. You know, yes, you've got the puppet there, but unless you move it every bunch of frames, you've got nothing in terms yeah. of time. Yeah. Right? It's got a frozen hold, and that's the scariest thing for every animator. <laughs> Just as a blank page is very scary for a 2D animator, I remember I'd always be scared looking at the blank page and go, oh, I've got to create this all over again. Yeah. And in 3D, you've got the free perspective and the free rig. Um, but the problem is, you've got to move it properly now. Now it has to meet the expectations that you have set up for yourself and for the audience, right? <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't fail them now. And that pressure is, 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 uh, is an interesting challenge. So that's, that's kind of how I produce my work and how I work. And it's the same approach that I, I, uh, I guide towards uh, for my students. Mm. You wrote a beautiful piece in your blog about uh, posing. I was wondering if you could recap on that and maybe hit some of the main points on a great pose. <laughs> you rolled your eyes pose um I, again i think it's a lot to do with that that preparation phase um because a lot of people think that posing it kind of just happens spontaneously you know you see a you know an andres de or somebody or child of bonifacio or glenn Keane and, or my really great 2d animators or 3d animators they pose something it looks exciting and great and you, you don't see the hard work behind it yeah. You know, you don't see it. looks like even myself, sometimes I'll whip out a pose and go, oh, people say, hey, you just whipped that out. Oh, it's so easy. They attribute it to talent, but they don't realize if I just whipped that out, I've done it before. Mm. Okay? I've done it before. And if it's something new, then I guarantee you that a lot of work has been done uh, thinking about the shapes that may sell that idea. If it's a great pose, then I'm like, okay, what are the shapes that sell that idea? Because if it doesn't sell the idea, it doesn't matter if it has appeal. It doesn't matter if it has the right proportion of straights and curves. And it doesn't matter if it has force and weight and dimension and all these things that make good, you know, good, yeah. believable uh, pose. Um, but it's the purpose behind it first, because if it doesn't sell the idea, it's done. And that, that's the number one priority. Once that's gone, established, I look at, you know, are the shapes from various perspectives, not just I'm saying like perspective camera, side view, front view, but I'm talking about if you were to look at this pose far away mm -hmm. and you looked at it up close, this is still selling that same idea. Is it clear? Is the idea of that pose clear? Not just the idea, but the believability in terms of the physicality. Mm -hmm. um, if, it's a, if it's a pose of a character that just looks extremely exhausted, how you handle the legs, how you handle the arms, the tilt of the spine, is that indicating that idea? Is it indicating that the body is given out, that the mind is fatigued? What's happening to the fingertips? Are the fingers dragging? Is, is, is the hand dropping from the wrist because it has no force left to characters exhausted uh, is the tilt of the head and the angle of the face presenting that idea clearly so I'm always looking at that it's always about the acting or story side of it first yeah. and because when you got that you're already halfway there to appeal mm -hmm. because you will have no choice but to make your animation or your pose have the right shapes because if those shapes are wrong it won't read so you just keep going after making it read so that's what happens to me if it doesn't look good i'll fix it's like a lot of good animators 2d and 3d it's like like for myself for example i if i post something and my brain will automatically tell me that weight is not believable and i'll have to shove the character further to the left and put more weight on that left leg and then i realize oh now that's happened i gotta shift that that hip over and then the shoulders going to be affected because the entire body is connected to each other and then you realize by just obeying those instincts mm -hmm. 
which you learn as you become more and more tuned with the craft, more and more in tune with uh, the human anatomy or animal anatomy, whatever you're animating, mm-hmm. um, you start to see better. Yeah. And I, I, I firmly believe that you can't really underst- you can't really appreciate or even love something unless you understand it. And the understanding comes first from knowledge. And knowledge from from just learning, just constantly opening your eyes. Whether you're a realistic you know, animator and you're going, oh, I want to get this, you know, this lion flying through the air, grabbing this guy to look really nice, like what they did with the, the tiger and say, uh, was it the Life of Pi or something? Uh, was was really great stuff. I mean, that, yeah. that tiger was amazing. It was so believable. Not just in terms of the technicalities, in terms of the lighting and the materials and all that, but how it was animated was very believable or like the gorillas in Tarzan you could see the weight of the, the flash pushing in as the as the gorillas put their their, their paws on, on or the hands on, on the ground you can see that in Tarzan you see that in great films like you know Ratatouille you see really uh, great physicality with the characters um, I think that's what I, I go for when I make a pose I'm thinking about that purpose and then just keep going after the shapes to kind of work with that, to go, go for that. And also thinking again about before and after. Does that pose look like it's in transit, yeah. if that makes sense? Yeah. Does it look like it's in transit? Because in reality, we're rarely still. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at children, animals, they, they, they don't sit still for you. I mean, Chuck, <laughs> I'm sure I do a portrait of a little kid or, or, or an animal, try to draw an animal. I used to, I, I used to struggle with that. I used to go to the zoo and draw animals a lot. And, and I'd be like, Kirsten, can you just stay still for a second? They're always moving. And, and then you realize, oh, in order to draw them, you almost have to be a bit like a hunter. You know, hunters, you know, snipers, they kind of watch, watch things move in, in cadence. Not that I approve of hunting. Mm-hmm. But um, as an animator, as a, as a draftsman or an artist, you're kind of a little bit like a hunter. You're after something. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of move in that cadence of that character, or whatever you're animating, you kind of go, oh, this is this is capturing it. This looks like that leg is in transit. It, the weight's shifting to the right side, and now it moves. And here's the beautiful thing. If you get the physicality and the forces believable and enjoyable to you as an animator, it starts to look good. You start to get appeal. You start to have great poses. I think this is why, like, again, you know, like Glenn Keane's work, it's so powerful. A lot of these great artists, like I remember I will teach David Pritzma, an awesome Disney animator, one of the most gentle and kindest people I've ever met. And watching him draw and showing us a little bit about animation when I was in Disney training, um, it was amazing seeing how, you know, there's this joy in doing the work. There's this joy in finding the pose in that search. And that joy shows up. It's, it's a crazy thing with <laughs> art. It, and it's like that with painting, too. If you, I always say to my students, you, you can really see whether someone, you know, is enjoying their work. Yeah. Uh, and you see when they're struggling at the same time, you know, look at the work, ah, they struggled here, in this area they had fun, in this area they were a little confused, here they really got it, they really got it here, they, they, they had a lot of, a great time and they felt the weight and they went with, went with it, and this is why long scenes are so hard, it's hard to sustain that level of concentration and excellence and not lose yourself here and there, this is why big scenes often go only to the star animators or, or the supervisors uh, while they choose their own shots. But it, it makes sense because it, it, it requires a little bit more experience. Yeah, of course, of course. And I wanted to ask you, what should be on an animator's checklist before they submit their shot for review <clears throat> Excuse me, at each of the stages? Uh, uh, ooh, a checklist. Um, hmm, that's tricky. Uh, again, readability. Is the scene clear? Tick. Mm-hmm. Is it there? Um, is, it, is it believable? 
is it physically but you are selling something in a 3d world like a three-dimensional world but it's still a real world inside that virtual universe does it look like it sits in space in that office or jungle or whatever you're animating it does it look like it's part of that world because once you blow that you're like a magician that oops the rabbit came out the other side <laughs> before you were ready to reveal it um then you kind of blew it so that physical believability um the third thing is is there some is the energy right does it does it connect is there that intangible quality it makes it more than just movement right because animation oftentimes is confused with movement for a lot of non-animators and beginning animators they think i just want to move it this way i want to move it this for day they're not thinking about the purpose behind the movement but worst of all is is when they're they're moving something and it's not doing anything it's movement for movement's sake. It'd be like a painter just throwing paint around for no reason than just to throw it around because they felt like flicking their wrists. Um, you can't do that. Um, so that, that's the first three things. Afterwards, I mean, those are the, the main three things. If you look at it more technically, I, I always make a list, um, say when I go to dailies, uh, I'll make a list as well. But even beforehand, I'd be like, okay, is it believable? And then when you look at that believability, physicality, you always look at a whole bunch of things. You're looking at is the, is the forces there, is the weight there, is there consistency in how you use the shapes? Uh, is the character on model? And I don't mean on model. It's easy to think you're on model. A lot of 3D animators think they're on model in 3D, and I often think they're not. Mm. It's amazing. It's hard to stay on model in 2D because of draftsmanship and the consistency between different styles of draftsmen. Uh, but in 3D, I often, I've been a part of a lot of films where it was inconsistent yeah. and it's because there wasn't a cohesive plan and discipline amongst the group or the leadership or whatever to, to kind of hold that that idea that this character is always going to move a little bit like this yeah. this character is always going to have this kind of smile it's going to have this kind of weight this is this is its range of personality and that range of personality is coincides with its range of physicality mm. is this character always going to be this kind of heavy now lead characters main characters tend to have more range because just the, the nature of the characters are supposed to, you know, the hero can be everything, yeah. you know, can be funny, exciting, athletic, blah, 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 a little bit formulaic sometimes, but I, I prefer characters that are a little bit more narrow definitions, so sometimes that's really interesting, watching a character work within its narrow, you know, uh, kind of characterization, so I make that list, does it hit those elements, you know, and then, you know, on model, physically on model, uh, mentally, emotionally, in terms of character performance, then I start looking at the technicals. Do those shapes sell what I'm wanting to say? Do they look good? Do those shapes look good? Mm. Um, is the is the is the belief, uh, is the timing and, and and the rhythm of the shot, the movement, is it is it interesting? Is it uh, is it something that I want to look at for for the time period that I'm looking at someone's shot? Yeah. Because <laughs> if it's just repeating say boom 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 the same beats and you you get bored really quickly yeah. and you learn that really quickly when you watch your scene a lot and this is why sometimes watching your scene a lot is a good thing but watching it too much is also a bad thing because then you get used to it yeah or whether it's good or bad you might a, a bad scene tends to look good after a while yeah. and a good scene tends to look bad after a while <laughs> as you know uh, we, we get really uh, we just adapt that's how we are so i always say try to keep a fresh look at your work you know this is why feedback is important but i start looking at those elements another thing on the checklist is you're you're, you're starting to look at flaws now this is more towards the polish of the scene mm -hmm. but if it's not at the polish level i won't deal with that yet i won't deal with you know whether something clicks or whatever um but i'm looking at the main things of selling that story um 
does it look like it's on par with what's going on in the story? Does it hook up with the shots before and after? Um, then it's presented to to the directors, whoever looks at it, your clients or whatever your project is. Uh, then I always bring a notepad. I, I, I'm always amazed at animators that go to dailies and don't have a notepad. It blows me away. I'm like, how do you remember everything? Because <laughs> not only am I writing down what didn't work in the shot or what the director wanted, I'm also writing down what was the expression of my director. Mm. The director did look happy. I'll, break, I'll put a big unhappy face on my notes. <laughs> he didn't like that at all. Like, I'm really off there. Or, or this is something that really bothered him. Or, this is something they really loved. They loved the, the movement, the energy there. Because that is a guide. That kind of gives you a feeling, oh, what direction? Because, again, it comes back to direction. Where, where are you going with your shot? Uh, and then, because usually in dailies, it's not technical stuff that's brought up. Yeah. Right? It, it's always directional. It's always about performance and acting and, and, and sometimes where the character is supposed to be in a shot. Uh, sometimes the director goes, no, no, I want, I want the character to come in here, not here. I love you. I love what you did here, but it doesn't matter. We're not, we're not moving them over there. And then, of course, you, you, you freak out inside because you, <laughs> were there all night. Um, this is why it's so important to think about your work so much before you do it. And I know some people are scared of that because of deadlines. Yeah, yeah. But I find the tighter the deadline, the more it's more important that I think about it. I may compress that time that I think about the shot, but I think about it uh, clearly because doing it over is worse. Yeah, yeah, of uh, and it frightens me. So that's kind of my checklist, just so I don't get myself in too much trouble. I never... And I sometimes I'll ask myself, did I overanimate it? Did I move it too much? Yeah. And make sure those X's are, are you know, not cro are crossed off. I didn't do those things. Yeah. Because if you're if it's gonna be noisy and confusing, you know you're inviting trouble. I, I remember sometimes seeing dailies of certain animators would show their work and I'm like amazed that they showed it because it's confusing. And and when asked <laughs> about why they did it, they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that's a bad position to be in. So I would say be very, very prepared. Have, you know, I love that question. You have a checklist because then you know. I mean, pilots. I remember flying over New York City with a friend who flew airplanes, and I remember asking him a question. Is I'll see him, you know, fly. He used to fly, you know, fighter you know, fighter planes. So he really knows how to fly. But we're in this tiny little. I don't know what kind of plane they are. Just a little passenger plane, just a few people in it. And I saw that he had a list, and he went through it. And the list looked really simple. It's like, turn on this. I was like, oh, God, I, why don't you know this? And he goes, it doesn't matter. Yeah. This, is, this is what we do. Yeah. Every single time we go through that checklist before we go anywhere. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're like the world's ace pilot. And this is why pilots always have a co-pilot to make sure that that's done, yeah. right? Everything's double-checked, not just checked, but double-checked. Um, a lot of animators would do very well to learn that, yeah. learn that level of professionalism. And I think that would really help them because uh, I don't think I'd be able to animate anything to my level if I did prepare well mm. in terms of my work. It's just, mm. I, I would say I'm just not that smart. I can't remember, <laughs> it, you know, so. I wanted to circle back around on something you said about over-animating. Um, how do you know when enough is enough? It's, I mean, it's a tricky thing, right? Because we all want to, mm. if you have a shot you really love and you want to show off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all have that because, you know, um, I mean, this is why we want to be animators. It's a place for personal expression. It's <laughs> your chance, your window of opportunity, of glory. And it's not even for other people. It's just really for yourself. And, and it should be. It should be. This is your chance to have some fun. Um, over animation, I was, I was guilty of it a lot in the early part of my career uh, because I think it's a natural tendency to overcompensate um, for not thinking about the shot enough, mm -hmm. I think. I think it comes down to that. 
And because when you think about a shot a lot, you realize it's your shots. I learned this from my old mentor, um, Wayne Gilbert, who was my teacher at Sheridan. What great, a great man and, and someone I'm always indebted to. Um, he taught me one little wonderful little lesson. He said, you know, you know, you don't have all the time in the world. People look at it once. <laughs> I, I, it, was a, it was a painting I did when I was in college. I made it all subtle. And he was like, no, no one can read that subtlety. And he was right because it, it just goes by once. Mm-hmm. So that tells you your ideas have to be remarkably simple. Mm-hmm. And only when you start to get much older as an artist, more mature as an artist, you realize, oh, my goodness, simplicity is hard. Because <laughs> yeah, the tendency yeah. is to get complicated, mm-hmm. that, especially with this 3D tool. It was easy to over-animate in 2D. It's even easier to animate over 3D. Because the process has so, you have so many juicy tools to work with and all this fun, funky stuff. Um, the, the, it's, like how, it's like being in a kitchen and there's like 30 different knives and you want to use all of them. <laughs> but you really only need one or two for whatever you're doing for that night. Yeah. Um, and we forget that as animators, especially in the beginning. And sometimes the tools confuse you. So you over-animate. You have too many ideas. You're like, oh, I want to do this. And this is cool. That's cool. You have to pull back and go. I, I always say, I, 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 to me, this is the benchmark I ask myself. When I'm by myself and I don't have someone to show, I'll go, if this work wasn't mine, yeah. what, what, how would I assess this? What, what do I feel about this? And I'll, I'll see it immediately. And sometimes the help that I will flip the camera. I will use used to before we had all these fancy tools, I would just bring up a mirror and I look at the mirror version and I go, That's a mess. <laughs> that that is too much. Or I'll play it at half speed. Sometimes I'll play it at twice the speed. And it gives you a different perspective because like I said, our our we have this adaptation thing. It's like people who have too much money, they develop headed hedonistic adaptation you know they get used to comfort they get used to good stuff i can't live without my porsche you know kind of thing (laughs) and animators they have the opposite they see something and after a while the weight doesn't look bad to them anymore Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like too much animation it looks like what am i gonna do that empty scene i I don't want to hold there i want to do something Mm -hmm. and they forget that you know like wayne said you're just seeing this one time you're not gonna see all that stuff You're only seeing one major thing. And I think this is why there's been a big movement towards uh, holds and stillness now in animation. Sometimes it's taken too much to an extreme where animation has lost a little bit of its juiciness and joy. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, animation is still just a division of film. Mm-hmm. And film is this visual medium that passes by. You know, people forget that when you're animating, you're only dealing with one frame at a time, and yeah. that's one twenty-fourth. That's four one-hundredths of a, yeah. uh, of a second, less than that, actually. And, whoa, that goes by really quick. <laughs> and you see it a lot both on the mechanic side and the acting side. The animators will move a character too much, but they also have too many ideas. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I work with students, I try to remind them, but it's at the same time, I sometimes allow them to do it. Because if they don't make that mistake, yeah. they'll never learn. And then they'll sometimes say to me, why didn't you tell me to chop this off and I go, well, I can't afford to, uh, it's, it's not my right to, to, to rob you of the experience of failure, that's what I would say to them. <laughs> that, that usually gets them to relax and laugh a little bit, but it's kind of true, because mm. that's the only way I learned was mm. through over-animating and doing too much, um, and because it, part of this tool is, you have, part of this art is you have to do, you have to explore it, right? And part of the exploration is going to be being, uh, going overboard as part of that experience. Uh, and you learn from that, and then you go, oh, I'm going to pull back now. I'm, I learned now, oh, man, it's two years over animating now. <laughs> oh, this show, 
it, it's quieter. It's quieter. And, and I remember when they did Frozen, uh, an animator was talking to me and saying how they had big meetings that brought everyone in, telling everybody to under underanimate their work by at least 50, 60 percent wow. in order to just calm it right down to suit the movie. Right. And that was a smart move on, on, on the on the team, on the yeah. directors and the supervisors. I think that was a, a wise move. So what about then the other spectrum of it where your director is asking you to fill a lot of information into a small amount of time? I think you talked to me about this before. You had a shot where your director asked you to fit like a character in a whole bunch of stuff. And Yeah, I won't name the director. <laughs> uh, it's not his fault. The other day is my fault. I always say if I have, if I, you know, that, that means I didn't sell my shot well. Mm. You know, they want more than I didn't do a good job. Because right. the truth is, that at the end of the day, the movie or the project is theirs, and I wish, I wish, I wish I had an older version of myself back to just slap <laughs> me in the head and go, just shut up with your head and just okay, it, it's his his movie. You got to do it that way. You may not agree. You have the right to not agree, but you're that's your job. Yeah. And to sometimes, yeah, I remember it was I was asked to put three beats in a shot that was about four seconds long, and I'm like, oh god, I knew it was trouble right from the start. <laughs> Uh, by that, I was starting to learn a lot more about filmmaking. I was spending quite a bit of time studying film and screenplays at the time on the side, just mm. learning, understanding beats. I was reading a lot about the work of Stanislavski and, and, and David Mamet was talking about film. I love how David Mamet, a very famous uh, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, uh, director as well, and he talked about you know films like Dumbo, yeah. how sometimes the ideas were so simple. And yet, it's so perfect. It just just nails the emotion. And, and Bill Titler's work is a good example of it. It, it doesn't overanimate, but it's it's not afraid to be big. Yeah, it's not afraid to be big, and and, and that's that's a hard thing to learn um, to find that balance between un- overanimating and underanimating. Uh, it's it's not easy, and every animator will take a different approach to a shot. Everyone will animate it differently. Um, but I always find the best scenes are the ones where you look at it. Sometimes I'll like look at a James Baxter shot or something, and I'll be like, "God, I can't think of a better way to animate that." <laughs> that's that's great. That's just 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 seems so perfect. It's like an actor that plays a role. There, you just can't imagine another actor. And like, can you yeah. imagine? I was just watching a Forrest Gump last night again, and and you just can't imagine anyone else but Tom Hanks play that <laughs> character. It's it's just perfection. You, you you wouldn't want it any other way. It just doesn't work. Don't remake that, please. <laughs> I bet they probably will someday destroy it, but um, but that's that's kind of what you aim for as an animator. You want to make your scene, or as an artist, you want to make your work just be so true. Because when it's as true as it can be, it, it raises the odds of making that kind of work. That kind of work where you go, oh, I wouldn't do it any other way. And, and then the questions of over animating, under animating start to disappear yeah. because. When you're true to the scene and you're going, wow, this is a scene where a character tumbles in to the ground and gets up and it's angry, then it's going to require some serious physicality. It may require a very energetic head shake or a movement. Um, sometimes, you know, people think great acting or animation is always a still quiet stuff. I think that's also a wrong approach. If you look at some really great actors like Daniel Day Lewis or, or, or even a Jeff Bridges, and sometimes, or even an Al Pacino, sometimes they can be very loud, very big. And you're going, no, that's so spot on. That's that's what it needs to be. When you look at the Beast, you know, that's a very a loud character. But it needs to be. That's who that character is. And you just have to be appropriate. I think that's that's probably the that's the A word on my list when I look at animation. I say, is it appropriate? Is it, does it does it hit the hit the note right on? And and then you'll you'll realize how much movement is too much or, or too little. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, along the similar lines, how do you deal with getting a note from a director or your lead that you don't necessarily agree with, or even just start off direction? Because I find sometimes those scenes tend to end up a little flat because an animator can't get into the mindset of what you know that scene now needs to be. So I'm, I'm terrible. I, I I think I got in trouble once because I asked a question. <laughs> Not all studios are so open to asking, but I I always like to dig into what the director really wanted. Yeah. Um, because, you know, directors are humans too, and I, I know, I'm not just saying that because I've been a director. Uh, it's not easy to be a director. You, you, you have to be on top of everything, you're looking at so many things throughout the day. Yeah. Um, not just animation, but lighting, layout, and all sorts of other things, and story. Uh, then when a, a director comes to look at your work and goes, I want it this way, maybe he or she's not sure either, because mm. This animation business, film, is. I, I'm sometimes amazed that movies even get made. I'm like, that's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. People forget. So I have such tremendous respect for any film, even if it isn't good by so-called you know normal standards or, or, or people's standards. But uh, it's a very, very difficult thing to do to make make movies, and and, and because it's so large, yeah. it's just it, it's like if you're a classical composer and you're writing a, like the Rack Three, you know, Rachmaninoff, and it's just an eighty million minute piece of music. Um, then you're like, this is hell. I mean, can you imagine making like, you know, Lord of the Rings, like Peter Jackson did, or, or Lawrence of Arabia? Those movies are forever long. I mean, where do you cut? What do you cut? How do you make all this work? How do you get all these extras and animators and actors and all this stuff work together? It's a miracle. You look at the credit list. So, what do I do when I when I see a scene that's not uh, a clear, uh, clearly presented by the director, or, or maybe I didn't understand the director? Uh, I would ask, ask, you know, how would you like it? I remember asking. Um, uh, one director, uh, I think Roger Allers, a scene I didn't get, and I asked him, and he was, he's awesome because he's an awesome artist. Mm. He just said, oh, yeah, he, he pulled out a pad and he drew it for me. And I remember my friend Alex was saying, isn't that awesome when you have a director that can draw? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I go, yes, it is. <laughs> and he just showed me, and I go, oh, this is awesome, perfect. Yeah. I get what you mean. Because yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, we're all visual artists, and a lot of these ideas can't be presented uh, orally. Or in terms of words, uh, or, you know, it wasn't the great poets that I used to say, you know, words are crude. They're, they're crude. They, they, they don't, they can't express what a painting or a moving image can relay or music can relay, right? Uh, so sometimes it's, it's to, I, I just ask if they can show me, that'd be great. Um, and this is perhaps why when I taught or you know, even when I directed, I often drew over people's work uh, just to give them, oh, this is kind of what I want. I'm telling you this, but I'm also showing you. Uh, not all directors do that. Uh, some directors just get up on off their seat and start acting, which is really great. Um, at the end of the day, it's about communication, that, that clarity. Uh, and sometimes it's, it won't be clear. You'll, you'll, you'll go back to your desk, you'll animate, and you'll realize you're confused. Um, then it becomes a process. Sometimes it gets ugly where you do a shot, and it'll go back and forth, back and yeah, forth. Yeah. And then you, then you realize, okay, this one's been a tough one, and you just have to learn how to manage the disappointment or the difficulty. Um, and then, because that shot will end too, right? <laughs> Eventually, it has to be approved or shipped off to someone else if it's not great. I remember doing a shot that wasn't, didn't work in the director's eyes and they went through like three or four hands and then they came to me and even I couldn't make it work and it turned out the reason was because the director didn't like the read didn't like the read by the actor so it was none of the animators fault but sometimes a shot goes through that um, and everyone learns from it and uh, I'm grateful to learn that experience not just because it's an interesting story uh, or a memorable story for me or other people uh, you learn you learn that this process is not perfect yeah 
Um, what is the most challenging experience of your career so far? My goodness, it's all challenging. <laughs> um, I, I think the challenging thing is, um, how do you say it, um, staying true to the craft. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I preach it a lot on my blog and as a teacher, because it's so easy to be distracted. Whether you're a starting junior animator, you're worried about keeping your job, you're worried about your quota, you're freaking out about the guy next to you, you're a veteran <laughs> animator, you're scared of the next young person that just came in that's animating twice as fast as you, or you're a supervisor now and realize everyone wants your job, and product producers are going, well, well, he's not animating, he's supposed to be animating, well, he's, you're going, well, i got to supervise. Um, and when you're a director, you're worried about pleasing the client, you're worrying about your crew, uh, having done all of the above, every job is stressful, and you're filled with this anxiety that robs you of the experience of being an artist. And you're, you can be an artist, being a director, a lighter, animator, a compositor, and I have a lot of friends in the various fields, and we're all artists. I know some fine artists, view commercial artists are not artists because of the intent of the work, but I don't really agree. I think it's just a different outlet. Uh, and... I think the hardest part is just not being pulled out of the craft and starting to worry about these other things because that energy um, often can be negative. It can spiral into an exponential sort of negativity and then people start complaining about the film and directors are whining that this doesn't work. This is not the movie I want to make. And then uh, producers are on this person's case and that person's case and the animators feel like there's not enough time. And then you worry about all these things that actually have nothing to do with animation, nothing to do with the art. And you have to remind yourself, you almost, I almost feel like, you know, <laughs> you know how like uh, Hindus put a red dot in their head, uh, you know, to symbolize the, the, you know, their faith and, and their belief in unity and kind of a holiness that, that and I always wish animators had something similar. <laughs> we had that symbol in front of our desk or monitor that just reminds you, you got to stay focused on what's important and going, I'm here to do art. I don't care what people think about it. I'm going to do my best at my job. And I think, yes, that sounds incredibly unsexy or boring because it's, it's that, that those words come back. It's discipline. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing to discipline isn't you know, doing your push-ups. It's, it's the discipline is staying focused on why you're here and what you're doing here. And what you're doing here is this is your opportunity while providing a living for yourself. Um, you're, you're, you're expressing yourself. This is your place of personal expression, at least while you have this job. Now, you may change your mind. Like right now, I don't animate anymore. I, I spend a lot more time painting and teaching. Um, so I, I keep very focused on what I'm doing. Whatever I'm doing, I, I give it 100%. Yeah. And it was like that whether I was directing or supervising or working in story. It was 100%. Mm-hmm. And it was about the craft. So, so to me, that's the difficult part. Uh, not allowing those other things to bother you, and they will. Yeah. And you, you have to, it's, they're like weeds in the garden, right? They're just going to show up. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a great story of, you know, being a farmer. I, I grew up on a farm, and many generations farmers in my family. And I remember seeing my dad, and he was just, you know, always sowing seeds, always just, and I always go, why do you sow so many? He's asking, why do you sow so many seeds? And, and uh, he's, a lot of them don't make it. And as a kid, I thought that was interesting. I know that's a lot of seeds. And we have like a zillion pumpkins or whatever, wherever <laughs> they were planting at the time. It was uh, fall or whatnot. It was always a lot of stuff. And you realize um, 
you have to do a lot of good. You have to constantly put in that focus of doing your craft. And then I remember him spending a lot of the time weeding. It just looked incredibly boring for me as a kid. I was like, oh, God, I don't want to. And he'd ask me to do it. I didn't want to do it. But when you grow up on a farm, you work on the farm. Yeah. And you, you, you resent it because your other buddies are camping and going to Disneyland or something. And you're in summertime. I'm out of school. I should be having fun instead of working on the farm. And then I realized, oh, I learned a lot from that because my dad was always weeding. He was always taking away the garden, the, the removing the, the excess and the trouble that attacked his garden, whether it be birds or insects or whatever. It was all, this is always going to occur. So in animation, when you're in this career, there will be always a lot of things that will take you away from being an artist. Mm-hmm. And when you're, the higher you move up, it's harder. Yeah. This is, trust me on this, the higher you move up, when you move super directing, you move into running a company, oh boy, the forces <laughs> that come... <laughs> They're, they, it's, it's more than a sparrow coming to grab your seeds. It feels like a gigantic dinosaur coming by and stomping on your, everything you're working on. And that's what it feels like. And, and that part was, is very hard to deal with. And I think uh, a lot of people who try to get their projects on board and try to sell their films. And I know a lot of people are right now. A lot of my peers are developing their own projects, building their own companies. And it's just a constant battle. They're spending 50%, 60% of the time battling business decisions, yeah. business questions, marketing questions. You're like, oh, my God, I thought I was an artist. <laughs> and it makes me laugh because I used to be in business. I wanted to run away from it. But as I moved up, the, the business, I sneak stuck all the way back in. Uh, and it infiltrates. And, and as an artist, you have to go, okay, I'm going to stay really focused. Uh, so that, that part was the hardest part. It isn't the art. The art is, everything that's hard in the art makes you stronger. Yeah. It just, you, you discover more. You, you know, every time you screw up a scene, you're like, oh, now you know the next thing to do it differently. And you learn, and it's, that's really exciting. Yeah, that's an amazing answer. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> you. <sorry. laughs> Long-winded answer as usual. No, it's awesome. Um, when we last talked, you, and you were giving me some advice on being a lead, one of the notes that I wrote down was, you said that it's our job to keep the empathy alive. And it's hard to put that into practice, like into words, how to put it into practice. Mm. But uh, you want to try? Wow. I, I, I'll try to put it in practice. Gosh, <laughs> things are easier just animating or drawing it. Um, <laughs> saying it is hard. Uh, I think what I meant by that, I mean, it's a strange word using the word empathy, uh, such a psychological term. Um, what I mean is, I think as, as, as when, you, when, you have, when you assume a position of leadership or, or authority, I think you have tremendous responsibility. Um, I remember when I was directing, uh, I, I always took the approach and I always felt that and I will continue to feel that way, that if I'm again in a position like that, um, you're, you're there for the staff, not the other way around. You're, you're there for your animators when you're a director, when you're an animation leader, animation director. You're there for the team because they're the ones that make it happen. I mean, yes, you give it direction and you may have an idea. But you might have a story department and they make it happen. It's the artists that do the work. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that, that empathy becomes natural. And you start to go, ah, the burden is on them. Mm. You know, they're doing the work. Your 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 animators do it. They're the ones grinding it out, you know, frame by frame, minute by minute, hour by hour, month by month on this project, uh, whatever the project is. And if you lose sight of that, then again, you start focusing on yourself, yeah. and that's that's a I, I find that a dangerous place to be because I, I whenever that's happened to me, I made mistakes, and because it's it's I mean it sounds almost Freudian, but if you if you think too much about yourself, 
um, you kind of lose sense of your environment. You know, you lose sense of reality. You get obsessed with your, your ego. Um, and it sneaks in. It just sneaks in because all of us are insecure. And every artist, we always have to remind, I always have to remind myself, especially when I was leading, that we're all human. And artists, especially, uh, not more human than anybody else, but we're especially vulnerable. We're all very, very sensitive creatures. And it's because of being so in tune with our sensitivity, we are able to create the kind of art that we create. Yeah. We're trying to create work that connects with people through these, you know, what Mark Rothko says, or calls uh, these plastic means. I mean, because our plastic means are our tools. Are, are, you know, if it's paint, it's paint. If it's animation, it's this CG. Uh, those are your tools. That we, we have to kind of convey it with shapes and timing and movement. And your artists are doing all this using very bizarre tools when you think about it. I mean, look, when you, if you were to show me Maya 30 years ago, I go, what the heck is it? I remember the first time I saw CG animation. I think it was Softimage or something. I, I still do 2D at the time, and I looked at it, I'm like, what are all these wires? Like, what, what is all this wire for? Exactly? It was so con- I go, you animate this? I remember it was a friend of mine, uh, Nick Craven, excellent anime, was a supervisor, I believe I read it or not, um, um, and watching him do CG. And he had everything set on wireframe, so extra confused yeah, okay, the two okay. guy like me. And I'm like, what is this stuff? Like, you, how do you see anything? Like, what do you do? And we all get these bizarre tools. A, a good friend of mine used to say, you know, it's, it's, you know, don't worry about it, James. It's just like the Matrix. And I use that joke with my students now. It's just the Matrix. Just ignore the green lines. And it's just code at the end of the day. And, it's, and, and uh, I always find that uh, kind of fascinating because you realize, wow, we do really hard stuff here. Yeah. It, it, your goal is really simple, but the work is hard. So I always want to feel for my staff. I always want to feel for the teams I work with or even, uh, you know, cause it's hard. It's hard. And when you remember that, you, you, you remember, okay, they may not always hit all the notes you want as a director. I remember when I was director, I would always go, okay, I'm going to, I got to try to set up the scene. So the entire weight of the scene is not on the shoulders of the animator. That if his anime, his or her animation is a top flight, the scene still works. Uh, either through good choice through my own editing, working with my editor, or when I was directing, I'm going to make a different directorial choice. Now, some scenes are heavier on, on a performance, mm-hmm. um, but usually those scenes are, are given to stronger animators. And sometimes if you give it to a new animator who wants to do this scene, you help them through it. I, I remember sitting late at night working with some animators, helping them through their work. And, because if you don't have that empathy, you won't do that. Yeah, yeah, of course. You just won't. You'll go home. <laughs> you go <laughs> home or you'll do what you feel is your job, not realizing actually looking after everyone under you is your yeah. job too. And yeah. I know it's a, it's a huge burden, really, when you think about it. But yeah. I, you can't think of it as a burden. You just think of it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a wonderful opportunity to help somebody. What a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to help bring a little bit more clarity to the work that's being done. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to describe it, a little bit more clarity. Uh, but you can't get that clarity if you're clouded with uh, your own ego or this, because when you think about it, it is it comes down to your ego because it's all those responsibilities coming down on you, right? Yeah, you have to show better work, great. And now you're the lead or you're the suit and the pressure is, you got to make sure everybody's kicking butt on it. And mm. the reality is you have to manage some areas that don't work. And then take advantage of the errors that really do work. You have to go, okay, wow, these guys are doing really great. Sometimes I remember assigning shots and I show a supervisor and I, I took a chance. I'm, you know, I'm going to assign these six shots to this person. He's kind of new to it, but, and they always surprise. People always surprise on the upside. 
it's amazing when you give when you give people faith and you help them along a little bit through their to the bumps um, they just become better artists and, and hopefully by default they become better people because they they are they are have more faith in themselves they become better artists and then that, that grows they're better they get stronger they believe in themselves more and you know who wins you win you look good that's the funny thing you don't aim for that but you win you end up looking good uh, and the animation looks great and then everyone else feels great um, and I think that's what we have to focus on that that perpetual kind of cycle that is positive rather than you know one of judgment and, 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 and just disappointment because it's easy to fall into that trap. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that more and more leads uh, take that approach to their work mm. uh, all the way up to, to producing, really, I think. Mm. How are you for time? We don't have a lot of questions left, but... Uh, you're oh, right? we're good. But no, I'm good for time. I'm good. Right, cool. I left time for you, so we're good. <laughs> cool. um, I know so long, long answers for you. I'm sorry. No, no, I love it. It's, it's awesome. We're actually covering a lot of questions that I was asking, so it's nice when they just oh, flow awesome. naturally. It's good. Oh, cool. That's the best way. <laughs> So let's say that planet Earth has been destroyed and we're moving off to another planet and you can take one piece of animation, not of yours, but of, like any animation that was ever done, what one would you take? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I guess I'm biased, but I would probably grab a piece done by Bill Teitler. Mm. Um, some of his work, uh, and it's an old film, it's like from Pinocchio, mm. his work from Stromboli. Um, some of his work from Dumbo, and it's because it just captures the essence of what this art form can be yeah. through such simple means as a line, and because you you can't describe the scenes that he does, you're like, how do I explain that? It just not only does it work, it's so it's uh, it feels like something new. Even when I look at it today, it feels new because it's so true. It doesn't feel like a duplicate of someone's work. It's so sincere. It's so personal. Um, I mean, you can say that about some of Glenn Keane's work and, and, and a lot of Glenn Keane's work or, or, or James Baxter or Eric Goldberg. And there's so many great animation stuff that Andres Deja did on Scar was amazing. Uh, and there's great 3D animators um, out there that done some awesome work as well. A lot of awesome work. Is, uh, I would say... I agreed with what Brad Bird said that there are more A-list animators today than maybe before. And I agree, uh, and I think he was referring to the skill. There's a lot of skill out there now, yeah. um, but the intention behind the skill hasn't yet caught up. I find it's amazing. It's like mm. stuff's been done a long time ago, and and you look at the work of Bill Titlas and the intention behind, it, the motivation behind the work is so pure. It's so pure um, that, oops, did I lose you? Yeah, you did. Sorry, I've got to charge up my thing. Keep going. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I was just saying that the purity of the work of those artists of old is what is what makes it great. Because like I said, that your art reflects the creator. Uh, one of the nicest things I've ever received, nicest compliments I've received on my own work uh, was a painting of my wife. And... Someone says, I can feel your love for her in that painting. Mm. Um, that's about the best compliment I could get for that because mm -hmm. that painting, even though it's of her, it really was of my emotions. You know, I'm sharing and it showed up and I feel blessed that it did because oftentimes it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you try and try and it doesn't. And, and when I look at Bill Teitler's work, uh, 
it, it's just it's, it's it's such a heavyweight with his animation because it doesn't have to be necessarily a big powerful scene. Like I said, you can grab Stromboli or you can grab the Night of Bald Mountain or you can grab Dumble. Totally different characters, all three, and yet every time it just grabs you. Uh, some of the scenes I, I remember seeing uh, James Baxter did of, of Moses, I thought in Prince of Egypt, I thought were just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just I go whoa, or some of the stuff that you saw Tarzan. Um, flying through the trees and you go that's just purely physical animation I go no it's way beyond that it's way beyond physicality because it's everything every bit of joy that he had inside him uh, put out on paper and onto celluloid Uh, but one piece that's too hard for me Sandra (laughs) Uh, but I think it's you know I I guess it would say a lot of Bill Titler's work I think Mm -hmm. because um, I grew up inspired by his work it's probably the main reason I became an animator is when I saw his work Mm -hmm. Uh, and then seeing the rough process of, of, of guys like Lanky and do the kind of work they do, I was like, wow, that process is, is awesome. So uh, that, that's what I would take and show some crazy aliens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to show, okay, this planet is worth saving. There's some awesome stuff here, right, before they decide to blow us up or something. Um, <laughs> or whatever. But that's because I, I think it's our art that leaves the best uh, trace of our existence. Mm. Because uh, you, you'll forget. I mean, I always say when you look at a, a piece of great piece of Rembrandt work, and you know, a lot of people uh, commission Rembrandt to paint them so that they could live in you know on forever. But when people look at a Rembrandt, they don't care about the person he painted. Yeah, of course, yeah. They they care that it was a Rembrandt and how it was done, and and that's that's what's funny about it. it it's the it's the art that lives. Mm. It's not the subject. It's it's the art, and because it's a trace of our humanity, and that's. That's what makes art so great, and and why I think a lot of us are concerned about the mechanization of things. You know, everything's becoming very mechanical now, and, and I always hear artists complain about motion capture and whatnot. And I go, well, you have to find a way to bring the human into it, mm-hmm. or, or or don't do it. You know, if you can't you can't do it in that medium, don't do it. And, I, and that goes true of any medium. I think some people can't find it in architecture and leave architecture and become an animator. Some people can't find it in animation anymore mm-hmm. and choose to find it in painting or live action or or whatever they choose to do. Um, and it's 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 very personal, very different for everyone else. So yeah. that's that's my long long answer again for that. Found. <laughs> 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 Uh, so deadlines are getting a lot tighter and films are getting produced a lot quicker these days. Um, I'm interested in your tips and how people can keep up the quality as well as the speed. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to keep giving you the same answer. It's um, <laughs> just being very, very prepared. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and know that, like, if you got, I remember once I did a shot and uh, producer, assistant producer came by, well, I know this needs more time, but you've got two days, three days on this thing, or two days, and I'm like, gee whiz. Yeah. <laughs> I said, here we go again. Um, and you just go, okay, you could be upset at it, but spend very little time being upset at it. Like, again, not wasting the time there, and go, okay, and then plan it, and go, okay, how am I going to do this? Come up with a strategy, come up with a plan, how do you do it? And going, okay, there's a moving camera, I'll do it straight ahead, I won't go through the step mode and spline it, because it will not be enough time if it's a two-second, two-day shot, uh, whatever. And know that what is this shot about? What's the essence of it? How about quick game plan physically, meaning uh, the odd thumbnail, the quick faces that may need to be shown on that scene, or what exact poses are the key poses? Because if something's gonna be really fast, you 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 know that you can only sell so many ideas. Again, it's a simplification process. Um, when in doubt, go simple. When in doubt, go simple. When in doubt, 
don't try so much to be original. I think sometimes people, I think the word originality is, is a little bit overrated. Um, I mean, you look at Picasso, everybody thinks he's so original, and then you, you find out he has like a billion African masks that he copied. It was all African art. I mean, some of them looked exactly like the, the masks that he had in his room. I'm like, he didn't invent that. That wasn't some advanced cubism, man. He just scoffed it off some poor African guy who did it 800 years ago. Um, and I, I think we all appropriate from other people. And so don't be afraid to go, you know, this works. If the deadline's tight, I will use this. Uh, and and borrow that because uh, I think when your work is done with truth and and, and it's as personal as you can be, it will be yours. It, it, it'll be your. You couldn't be unoriginal even if you tried. I think. I think those. Are, I'm paraphrasing Robert Henry there, um, who was my biggest inspiration as a, as an art teacher. Um, I think that's that's really the key: being very very prepared and and being realistic. Uh, I remember you asked me that question about over-animating. I think yeah. a lot of animators, um, they want to do too many things. Yeah. So there's no way they can fit that in that deadline. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes the deadlines are ridiculous, and it happens more and more in television and sometimes special effects. Uh, but I believe if you hit the essence of your shot mm-hmm. and you have a good plan, you don't stay late. I remember when I was working at Blue Sky, which I think Blue Sky had some of the most talented and fastest, brilliant animators ever. Uh, I worked with, I was so blessed to know the people there. Uh, many who are great friends and remain great friends. Um, they were so fast. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's because they were just so prepared. They knew what they wanted and just did it. And does it mean the shots were perfect? No. Uh, it just meant you hit the, you hit the right beats. And sometimes when the deadlines are really tight, that's how you focus on it. You know, you, you know, a TV animator will always complain he doesn't have enough time. And I always, when I remember when I was directing, and there was another show at the company was doing TV work, more TV work. And I said, well, you on your show, you know, since I ran the whole animation team uh, at the company, I told them, well, on your show, if it's TV and the deadlines are tight, then you focus on the layout side of it. You focus on the major storytelling poses. Don't don't worry about the finessing, the, the spline so it's super smooth and the weight's perfect. You're hitting the major poses. You're in the major poses, you're telling the story, you give it energy and feeling, and that's it, you're out. Yeah. You go in and you're out because you, and no one would expect more. Anyone who was expecting more was, that's cruel. Mm-hmm. You can't expect someone to uh, to paint a Picasso in 10 seconds. You just, it doesn't work. You. It, this is why when I hear sometimes, a business person or a producer make that kind of comment, you know, oh, I, I want hard and I work, I work as hard. I go, you just, you gave them a deadline and a, and a budget that, <laughs> you know, there's no chance of that. Then you're, that's very, uh, almost cruel, not only unfair, it's almost cruel and unrealistic. I think sometimes it's not done through malevolent uh, mindset, but I think it's just they don't understand the process. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that with computer animation, and this is where I feel sorry for computer animators, and I was <laughs> one, is that everyone thinks it's done by computers, mm-hmm. right? And the average person, the average lay person thinks it's done by computers. The average person still thinks that the sound comes after we animate. I mean, <laughs> and we don't even think that, right? Because that's what we do. And, um, so I, I think that's the way. It's just being very prepared and being realistic with yourself and your superiors mm-hmm. about what can be done in the shot in that kind of time. Yeah. And after you worked on, now sure you pick up speed, but you you let go of the, uh, you know, you let go of the minor things. You know, people say don't mind, don't major in the minor things. You know, let the little things slide. Get the main things right. And if you have time, you can tweak some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yes, of course, you look at the big feature stuff at Disney or whatever. They have bigger budgets like Pixar. Of course, they can. They have all the time. I remember a Pixar animator telling me, "Oh yeah, I had all the time to tweak the shot after it was already approved." I'm like, "Holy cow! Yeah, that's you, lucky son of a gun." Um, and then I sometimes go, "Why isn't it better? <laughs> it should be. It should be amazing." And a lot. Of that, and then time does allow for really great work, uh, but sometimes time can make you do worse work. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what can you suggest for animators who feel like they might be plateauing? Uh, I think the first thing is they need a break. Mm. They need a real break from the entire process of being an animator. This whole, you know, this whole industry is like I said. It's so it's so much, and it consumes your life. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was an animator full time. You know, I, I felt sorry for the husbands and wives of animators mm-hmm. uh, or girlfriends and children or whatever. Not the children, kids think it's cool, right? Oh, that works at Pixar. How cool is that? Yeah. You know, people are saying those kind of things. And But your the spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends are bored of it. All they talk about is animation. It's shop talk all the time. And you have to go, okay, let's get away from that. Get away from that completely. Um, again, get into something physical. I think being around nature is amazing yeah. to... to Refresh yourself and then ask yourself some serious questions. You know, what are you doing now? Has is the work, is this place you're at still the same destination that you were hoping to be before you came into this career? And then you have to ask yourself some tough questions. Do you want to still stay at this particular position, job, career, company, industry, whatever? Some of those questions are scary and everyone faces them when they've been in the industry for a while. Um, And sometimes you just need a refresher. Other times you go, "Hmm, you know what, I'm I'm done animating full-time. I'd like to lead now. Maybe I have to go to a different company to do it. Or maybe I want to move into the direction of story. And I see a lot of guys moving to story. I have great friends of mine who moved into concept. Uh, They wanted to go back to more of the tangible drawing and painting side of it. And they're excellent animators. Uh, There's guys that have lost uh, interest in, say, you know, this, the, I, won't, I hate using the word formula, but the similar stories that get shown even in the big films, mm-hmm. and they move into games where there may be some different things being done, and they uh, work with a new new technology. So I think that's what you have to do. You have to take a break to realize you're not just crazy, uh, <laughs> just to gain some sanity, because you can't make serious decisions, and you can't seriously look at your life without, without some peace and space. I mean, I know animators, we deal with time and space all the time, yeah. but here's the irony. We don't give ourselves time and space, uh, yeah. and I always find that really funny. I, it's almost ironical. You know? yeah. Here are these animators. They're gods of their universe that they create, but <laughs> they don't control time and space in their own lives, um, and I think we have to regain that, recapture that, and go, hey, you know what? My life is my own. Yeah. I'm going to take a break now. I'm going to rethink about things and reassess where I want to do, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And if it's something different, how do I transition? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's exciting because every uh, being an artist is really a journey, I, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's true. All right. I'm running a little bit low on power because awesome. I got my iPad. Yeah, uh, okay. Are, we, <laughs> you, are you good? Are, are, uh, I've got do you one still more, have more questions? I've got one, one more question. question. i got one more question. Uh, what okay. is the greatest piece of advice anybody ever gave you, and who is it from? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. I guess, well, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I, greatest piece of advice? Um, I should have saw this one coming. <laughs> um, 
Although I guess I did mention a little bit with Wayne giving me that、mm. idea of keeping things really clear.、Um, that was great from him in this industry. I, I when I think about great piece of advice, probably not from a person、uh, that's living today.、Uh, more from what I've read,、um, and they're the words of Henry David Thoreau,、uh, my favorite philosopher.、Um, and I will quote it. Actually, I have it here on my screen,、yeah. just to remind me. And I'll quote it, and he says. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he fears a different. He, he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music he hears, however measured or far away.、Mm. And I think there could be no greater statement of choosing yourself than that.、Yeah. Uh, and and not going with the crowd if that music is not what you want to hear.、Yeah. You know, and that was a big thing. It was a hard thing for me to do. I was like I. I always joke around like I'm born the year of the dog, so I guess I'm just like a canine, right? And, and dogs <laughs> like to be told what to do. Oops,、mm-hmm. did I lose you? Yep, we're here. We're still here. Okay, and、um, you know, dogs like to be told what to do. They're healthier when they're told what to do. Yeah. And it's tempting, even for myself and a lot of us. I'm not saying we're lemmings, but it's、mm-hmm. easier to not be independent. It's、mm-hmm. easier to to have someone make the decisions for you. Yeah. It's easier to follow the leader and the pack leader, and when you are a leader, you have that responsibility, as we talked about.、Yeah. But ultimately, we are intelligent,、um, independent individuals. Each one of us. None of us are identical. There is no average person, right? And that's probably those words by Thoreau remind me to be myself、mm-hmm. each and every day. And I think. In a field like animation,、um, it's so easy to just follow the crowd,、yeah. uh, both in terms of taste and action and thinking. That we have to remember, you know, you, you know, you're Sandra, I'm James. Everyone else is everyone else. They're they're their own people, and I think that's what makes art great is when your work is deeply personal. And I also think that's what makes life great when you try to live true to who you are.、Mm-hmm. And we're that, you know. Do or wear or be who you are, want to be, and and if you can't do that as an artist, it doesn't set a good example for people who are not. Isn't that true? Mm, mm,、um, very, very true. Because if if the artist is too scared to wear that strange velvet scarf,、um, then <laughs>、uh, what average person has the courage to be different? Because、um, we we kind of set the the boundaries of where we can. Uh, as, as a human species, what we can do, and that's why art is so exciting. We're always pushing boundaries, M- much like scientists do.、Uh, at least real scientists. I mean, there's a lot more technology now than science being pushed.、Mm-hmm. But I, I miss science being pushed. I miss,、uh, and art I think needs to continue to be pushed, even in a field as commercial as animation. I still think people can find that. So that's so Thoreau is my guy,、um, as well as Robert Henry. I mean, he kind of says the same thing, you, you know.、Uh, and he always, and I'll paraphrase here, he always says, you know. You, you got to be interested in art for, you know, because it's 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 a way of living rather than a way of making a living. You、mm-hmm. know,、uh, I, I think that's that's important to be、uh, to remember. At least that's what、uh, that's what kind of matters to me. I always think of these two guys, and it reminds me to be true to myself.、Um, hard thing to do, but、yeah. well, well worth、uh, invest well worth investing in, right? Yeah,、so. absolutely. Yeah. Oh well, that's lovely, James. It's really nice. You're welcome. Yeah. You know. Closing、um, off. 
kind of crazy, but <laughs> well, <I'll take laughs> thank you for the interview. I know it went really long as I always talk too much, but um, <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> these are big questions. You threw these monster questions at me. <laughs> Every time I talk with you, anything I talk about, even if it's something as simple as timing and spacing, you always say something really profound and help me look at it in a new oh. way. So I love chatting with you. Anytime oh, I chat with you, I always oh, thank learn you. something That's new. Sweet.